Well, I invite you to turn, if you'd like, to uh, John chapter 18. We're going to read verses 15 through 18 and then uh, 25 through 27. Uh, John actually breaks these uh, Peter's denials up into two sections. And we're, some actually, when they treat this, they treat Peter's restoration as well in it. And they'll flip over to uh, uh, the end of John where uh, Peter is restored. But we're going to just look at his denial. And when we get to John 21, we'll uh, treat that separately. Although we we realize uh, it did take place. So John 18, we'll pick up reading at verse 12. And before we do so, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, bow before you to thank you for your word. It is in our houses, in so many different translations. It is all over around us in the church and even in our community. And it's even been part of our national life. But none of that matters at all unless your Holy Spirit comes and takes this word in black on a white page and writes it on our hearts. And so we pray that you would do this by the powerful working of your Holy Spirit. Make your name great in our midst and exalt Jesus Christ, your son. We pray this for Jesus' sake, amen. All right, John uh, chapter 18, beginning at verse 12. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, was Caiaphas, who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. It's just a little bit of a running start, and here's where our passage begins. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Now we skip down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to our hearts and lives. This morning, beloved congregation of hope and everyone listening uh, this morning, uh, we're up to Peter's uh, denial of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, as we dive into this, I want to sort of set this up. I want to look at the setup of his fall, and then we'll look at the scene of the fall. We'll go through it in in a little bit of detail as we walk through it. But first, I want to set this up a little bit, uh, which Matthew actually does in his gospel account. He sets up this whole scenario of what's about ready to happen. In Matthew 16, 15, Jesus asked his disciples, he had asked, who who do people say I am? Who do the crowd say I am? And then he asked his disciples, but who do you say that I am? 
And Peter replied, of course, as Peter is known to do, he was uh, one of the vocal leaders of the disciples. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus, of course, commended him for that. Only God could have revealed that to Peter and Peter had it revealed to him. And then he says in verse 18, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then we're told Matthew 16, 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. So Peter made this great confession. Jesus says, okay, I want you guys also to know something else. That is this, I'm going to go die at the hands of the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, and I'll be raised again on the third day. And Peter pulls Jesus aside. And this is fascinating to think about. You got a mere man rebuking God in the flesh. <laughs> Peter's rebuking the Lord. Basically tell him, look, you can't, uh-uh, we're not going to let this happen. This is not going to happen to you. Flatly contradicting what Jesus just said. That's Peter, supremely confident in what he believes, big-hearted, always ready to speak. Maybe we call him a bit impetuous, but you can't, you can't uh, denounce him for his lack of love. Peter loves the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is all for Jesus and Jesus' ministry. But if you flip over to Matthew 26, verses 31 to 35, Jesus said to his disciples, you will all fall away because of me this night. Notice the language, all. He's not talking just about Peter. Every one of them is going to. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So Peter didn't know himself very well, but he was about to discover a lot about himself the very night Jesus was betrayed. So would all the rest of the disciples too, because Peter wasn't alone in having to learn this lesson, but Peter is highlighted in this account. And we'll look as to why that may be in just a moment. But I, don't know if, I don't know if you caught this, but there's something powerful in these verses, Matthew 26, 31. Jesus says, you will all fall away because of me this night. And Peter says, I will never fall away. Again, Peter flatly contradicts Jesus' prediction. Peter believes Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And yet when Jesus tells Peter something and teaches Peter something, Peter pulls him aside and says, no, that's not right. Again, it's pretty bold. It's Peter. It's how Peter operates. Very bold. And Peter was just wrong. He didn't understand his own weakness. He thought, I love the Lord. I would go to die for the Lord. I would go to bat for him in any and every circumstance. But Peter's about ready to find out just how weak and frail he really is. Up to this point, Peter, you could argue, is a fair weather disciple. Up to this point. Now, the Lord has purposes in mind for Peter, and he will create in him a steadfastness that he currently, before his fall, does not have. But at this point, uh, Peter is surrounded by Jesus, the other disciples. Jesus is fairly well known around Palestine. There's not threat of Peter's death on a kind of association with Jesus that's looming over his head. And so it's been fairly fair weather for Peter. 
and things will go south here in just a moment. I want us to notice as well that the Bible teaches each of us about a remaining weakness and propensity to sin. This isn't just Peter's issue. This is all of us. Paul in Romans 7 talks about the weakness of recurring sin. He just, he can't stand that he continues to do the things he knows he shouldn't, and he doesn't even want to. The things he knows he should do, he doesn't. Our sins are inevitable. 1 John 1, 8 and 10, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and his word isn't in us. James 3, 2, we all stumble in many ways. The Bible teaches us, as Jesus was teaching Peter, that we are all prone to sin and to we're weak in our spiritual fight. And so we're going to fall. It's just a matter of when, not if. We're going to sin. In fact, the Apostle John, that's what he's saying. If we say that, that we've not sinned or that we're, this is no longer a part of our life and a reality, then we're just we're making God out to be a liar. And so as believers, we don't plan our sin. We don't anticipate, meaning we don't look forward to sinning. We don't try to sin, but it's part of who we are. And to deny that reality, like Peter was denying it about himself, the Lord says, look, you're going to fall. The Lord says to us, you're going to sin. And we can be like Peter saying, I'm not going to sin again. Peter, I'm not going to deny you, Lord. That's a disconnect from reality. We're going to do it and we don't want to, but that's part of our Christian life. Proverbs 20, verse 9, who can say I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. In Ecclesiastes 7.20, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. That's just a description of a believer, of someone who is born again, yet is prone to sin. So this proneness will manifest itself all over our lives, right? In our parenting, in our work, in all of our relationships, uh, with each other and our relationship with God, we will see something consistent in the life of every Christian, sin. Things we don't want to do, but we are doing them. And if we want greater help in fighting it, we ought to take the Lord's instructions to his disciples, right? Watch and pray. Remember, this is the Garden of Gethsemane. Told them to watch and pray. They fall asleep. Their spirit is willing. Their flesh is weak. They're tired. They're worn out. Goes back again, tells them to watch and pray, and they can't even stay up to watch and pray. And now Peter's being led into temptation, and we're going to see how he does. He wasn't watching. He wasn't praying about it. And now he's going to go into the high priest courtyard and we're going to discover what happens when we don't watch and pray. And let me ask you this question as I think this is brought up in the life of Peter. And I've been asking myself this as well this past week. What sins or scandals do we believe we are incapable of? Because Peter believed this. I am not capable of denying you, Lord. Not in my DNA. I would die for you. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction or a haughty spirit before a fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. It is so often the testimony of believers, beloved, our testimony, the testimony of others. After we've fallen into grievous sins that we didn't think we were even capable of that. We didn't think it was possible for us. We just thought it was possible for those other believers whose names made the headlines of the newspaper or the latest town gossip that people are talking about and shouldn't be. It was just characteristic of them. That can never happen to me. But the Lord has a way of teasing that out and 
helping us with that attitude by humbling us like he's going to do Peter so that we come around to saying something along these lines. Yeah, every sin that I see in the life of anybody else, I'm fully capable of. If the Lord just leads me down that road and gives me no strength to stand, then I'm not going to be standing. That's what Peter didn't understand yet, but he's going to learn it. But I hope we can live our lives as those who are humble enough to realize that, yeah, that could be me. If the Lord deems it to have this take place in my life, to grow me, that could be me. The devil is powerful. He's at work. He would love to take me down. That could be me. And so I need to be humble. If Abraham can be cowardly, if Moses can lose his temper, if David can commit adultery, betrayal of one of his greatest soldiers and murder, if Peter can deny the Lord and play the hypocrite, then what am I capable of? A.W. Pink, in himself, the believer is as weak as water. Never thought water was weak, but he, weak as water. Only two hours before Peter had partaken of the Lord's Supper, had heard the most touching address and prayer, upper room discourse, and then the high priestly prayer that ever fell on mortal ears. And he had received the plainest possible warning about him falling. And what happens? Yet he fell. How weak are we as believers? Now I want to, that's the setup. That's what we're, that's what Jesus has taught. That's the situation into which we walk as we walk now into the scene of the fall, Peter's denial. I want us to notice a few things. All four gospel writers record this event, which is notable. By now we've discovered that there's actually, there's usually overlap in two to three gospels and they're, they're, all four gospel writers record significant events, right? Jesus' crucifixion, uh, Jesus' resurrection. But uh, having an event recorded in all four gospels is a bit of a rarity when you look at the whole life of Jesus. But all four gospel writers record Peter's denial of Jesus. And all the disciples fled. I want us to notice that as well. But after fleeing, some of them came to their senses a bit. And at least two of them followed Jesus to see what would become of him. Now, we, in the other gospel accounts, only hear of one disciple, Peter, who sort of followed at a distance then kind of went in. But in John, John actually refers to something in verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. He's the only gospel writer to record anything about this other disciple in the court of the high priest. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. We're given to understand that Peter wasn't going to be able to get in until this other disciple went to the servant girl who was the gatekeeper, the doorkeeper, and said, hey, I know this guy, let him in. And then she let him in. Now, as to who this other disciple is, a lot of people think it's John. And if you look at how John references himself a few times, you, we can make the argument, yeah, this could be John. He calls himself in John 13, 23, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. John 20, verse 2, Mary Magdalene ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And then John 21, verses 20 and 24, Peter saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. Usually when John references himself, he references himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
But he also says this other disciple in reference to him and then clarifies it afterwards. This could be an instance where he uh, referred to himself as the other disciple and did not say the one whom Jesus loved. Or it could be just another disciple, uh, Nicodemus-like as it were. Not Nicodemus himself, but just some other disciple of the Lord. But whoever was in there is a follower of Jesus, one who's claiming to belong to Jesus. Now, Peter, along with this other disciple, after they fled, must have come to their senses at some point. And Peter's standing outside the gate. And whatever we might say about Peter, he's there. A lot of the other disciples are gone. They're running, they're running to the hills, literally. But Peter's there with this other disciple, wanting to see what's happening with his Lord. Again, a demonstration of Peter's love. This other disciple is already inside the gate because he was known by the high priest, which means you probably have to have maybe some measure of wealth or rank in society to be known by the high priest. And if you look back at the apostle John's calling in Mark 120, it tells us that John's father had hired servants for his fishing company. So it's possible uh, that John came from a family that was of wealth. And so the high priest would have known John. But regardless, the other disciple is already inside uh, and speaks with a servant girl to get Peter to come in. Now we might ask, what is Peter doing there? Why is Peter outside the gate? What's he interested in? And J.C. Ryle puts it this way, lovingly anxious to see what was done to Jesus, yet not bold enough to keep near him like a disciple. This is Peter. Anyone can see that the unhappy Peter was under the influence of very mixed feelings. Love made him ashamed to run away and hide himself. Cowardice made him ashamed to show his colors and stick by his Lord's side. So speculation, why was Peter there? He just loved Jesus. He wants to know what's happening to his master. He's followed him for three years. He's just made this great bold declaration. He knows he's the Christ. What is going to happen to Jesus? And then we walk into the first denial. John 18, 17. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? Now it's interesting how she would have picked up on this. Maybe his clothing suggested he was an itinerant along with Jesus. Definitely not somebody who frequents the courtyard of the high priest's house. Maybe it was the way he talked, his accent, but something tipped off the servant girl there to think, you know, this is not a usual visitor. <laughs> We've got another visitor who's not normal here too. Jesus, he's being tried up there, likely on the, uh, not on the ground floor, but on the second floor. And maybe he's with him like this other disciple. So you're, you're not with him, are you? And Peter says, I am not. Notice she says, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Because she had already associated the other disciple with Jesus. So in this girl's mind, this servant girl, she knows, hey, there's one disciple of Jesus already in here. Are you guys together? Are you with him just like this other guy is? Now, if you were this disciple standing around there hearing Peter say, I'm not, this would have in some ways rocked your world, like standing next to a fellow believer here at Hope during tulip time and somebody comes up and asks, hey, are you a believer? And your fellow Christian says, no, <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> just, what? I, I can't believe I just heard you say that. So odd, so weird. And yet Peter in front of this girl and likely at least in the vicinity of the other disciple in his first denial uh, says this, 
I am not a disciple of Jesus. Each one of us is prone to wander and sin in certain ways. And why do I say that? Let me, let me tease this out a little bit here. The other disciple had already made himself known as a disciple of Jesus. This servant girl already recognizes you also. She already gets that this is a disciple inside, John or whoever it is, that has made clear he's a disciple of Jesus. But Peter couldn't do it. Peter wouldn't do it. This was Peter's particular downfall. In the midst of pressure, in the midst of watching Jesus go through a trial, in the midst of pain and suffering, this other disciple could stand firm, so much so that the servant girl already knows he's one, but Peter couldn't. And I wanted to suggest, and I want us to think about this clearly, what this tells us is that we are each prone to different sins. We are each prone to different failings. There are sins that you will commit that other believers will look at and say, I, I, I just don't find that in my DNA at this point, maybe in the future, but that's not how I'm wired. And there are sins that we'll commit, that, that others will commit. We'll say the same thing and vice versa. And beloved, here's Peter's downfall. Mr. Confident, Mr. Filled with love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Mr. I love Jesus, believes in him wholeheartedly, knows he's the Christ. Put him in a situation where you're no longer in church on Sunday or in fellowship groups surrounded by believers or at a Christian conference where everybody believes in Jesus and you'd actually be the odd figure if you don't, but put him in a place where he's in the minority and things are difficult and being in the minority looks like there might be pain, it might be difficulty, and all of a sudden, Peter finds himself in a place he's just not been before. Do you know him? Are you with him, right? I'm not. Peter denied the Lord. Think about this, beloved, and we're going to move on. There are places and things other believers can go and do which you cannot go and do, and I can't either. There are situations where you can go and others can't. There are situations that are going to make you and I fall flat on our face, and another believer won't fall flat on their face. Not because of pride necessarily, not necessarily because of humility, but some of it's just how we are wired spiritually. I don't know how else to put that. This other disciple, I'm with Jesus. Peter, no. Know yourself. Know myself. That's, that's what's going on here. Peter, the Lord told Peter, predicted it, and Peter still didn't get his mind around it. Beloved, know yourself. Where are you prone? What steps are we taking to watch and pray? Then we're into Peter's second denial. I want to read verse 18 as kind of a run-up before we get to verse 25. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Now verse 25. Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. So Peter is standing with them, verse 18. He's warming himself. The servants and officers of the high priest were all around the fire and all around Peter. They were warming themselves. We're told that it was just a cold night, a chilly night, probably not a you know, 30 below night like it gets around here sometimes or farther north in Minnesota, but, but cold nonetheless. Cold enough that they are warming themselves by the fire. They're likely chatting about the day's events. You know, this is quite a... Uh, 
uh, an army that went out to go get Jesus. No doubt people are talking about it. And uh, great conversation around the fire regarding Jesus and who this could be. And Peter was with them. And the way John puts it suggests that Peter was content to just be with them, to operate incognito, to be an undercover disciple, to be someone who could slip into the crowd unnoticed. Peter was one of the main spokespersons for a group of men who were intimately connected with the most prominent figure in all of Palestine at that time, and he thought he could just walk around unnoticed. So he's standing at the fire. They say, you're you're not with him, are you? (laughs) Of course they would say that. Who wouldn't know Peter? And he says again, I am not. Now, without putting too much weight on this, I think the text bears out at least this much. Peter did not yet understand the significance of who he was as a disciple of Jesus. And he also didn't understand the significance of who he was before a watching world. The officers and servants knew who Peter was better than Peter knew who he was. We don't have the option of living incognito in this world as a believer. Peter didn't, neither do we. We don't have the option of living under the radar as Christians in this world, in Pella or in Madagascar or in Uganda or in France. Beloved, if we're believers, there is no incognito. We're lights on a hill. Jesus is the light of the world. We're little lights on a hill, a city set on a hill. But that song, our kids know this really well. This little light of mine, hide it under a bushel basket, hide it under a basket. No, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a basket. Peter's standing by the fire with a basket over top, and the officer and the Uh, The officers and the other people, the servants, they're taking that basket off. Hey, you're one of these, right? Nope, (laughs) I'm not. Uh, Pretty sure you are. And Peter covers it up. We just don't have this option, beloved, of living in a world that doesn't know the Lord, slipping under the cover, having no one notice that we even believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nowhere we can go in the world and have it be okay to pretend we're not a believer. That's just not what it is to be a Christian. And don't underestimate just how much attention unbelievers are paying to who we are. They already know you're a believer. They're watching you. They're keeping tabs on these things. Who goes to church? Who worships the Lord? Who loves their enemies? Whose life exists for some reason other than selfishness? Those Christians, I live next to one. I work by one. I know they're a believer. Don't underestimate, beloved. Peter is just flat out denying it, but the people around him, they're not asking him for no good reason. They know he's one. They know he's a believer, but he doesn't understand that. It's not clicking with him. And then finally, we come to his third denial. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Peter is now asked by one of Melchus' relatives. Okay, this is getting pretty close to home. Uh, okay, Melchus' relative. <laughs> Say you're a cousin of Melchus. I just cut off his ear. Huh. You sure you're not one of him? Of course they knew he was one of them. Of all the disciples who were with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, which one stood out? Peter. Because he pulls a sword out and causes Jesus to have to perform a miracle on Malchus' ear. So this question is almost rhetorical. I I thought I saw you there. Of course you saw him there. Everybody saw Peter in the garden. 
And yet Peter, again, denies Jesus. The rooster crows. Peter, we know from other gospel accounts, goes out weeping. And the whole thing happened so quickly. It was all over just like that. Peter caught the Lord's gaze, and he just, he knew, I, I have just blown it. That, that just so quickly didn't even see it coming. Just something to consider here. The devil does some of his greatest work when our guard is down. Temptations to grievous sin don't often look like real trials or tests. Peter had no good reason to deny Jesus. And then it was over just like that, which caused 19th century Scottish pastor Marcus Dodds to write this, which I think is really helpful. Peter probably thought he might be brought bound with his master before the high priest. And had he done so, he would probably have stood faithful. But the devil who was sifting him had a much finer sieve than that to run him through. He brought to him no formal trial where he could gird himself for a special effort. The whole trial was over before he knew it was being tried. So do most of our real trials come in a business transaction, in the few minutes talk or the evening's intercourse with friends. It is discovered whether we are so truly Christ's friends that we cannot forget him or disguise the fact that we are his. In these battles, which we all must encounter, we receive no formal challenge that gives us time to choose our ground and our weapons, but a sudden blow is dealt us from which we can be saved only by habitually wearing a coat of mail sufficient to turn it and which we can carry into all companies. Peter, if you would have told him, Peter, you're going to stand by a campfire warming yourself and there's going to be a few others around. And right in that situation, you're going to deny the Lord. Said so you're crazy. I'll die for him. Oh, that's fine. You can go die for him but you can't resist denying him standing around a campfire. So many of our trials, beloved, they take place not in some courtroom where your life might be at stake or with a gun to our head. So many of our trials they take place where we are most unguarded in the everyday course of the events of life. And we fall, we deny Jesus by our actions, by our words, by our thoughts, even, even not allowing other people to know that we're a believer, if they'd ask us point blank, we would just shift it around because we may so desperately want to fit in with the group that we were a minority in when asked that question. So Peter, before it's all said and done, falls to the ground with probably even wondering, how, when did the test even occur until the rooster crowed? And then he knew. It's hard to stand firm when the cause of Christ appears weak and frail and you're in the minority. John, John uniquely does something here in his gospel. And I want to just point that out quickly. Did you notice verses 19 through 24, where Jesus is on trial now and he's struck, he's hit in the face, happens between Peter's first denial and his second denial. Why does John do that? All the other gospel writers have Peter's denials, one, two, three, Mr. Crows, out. John has first denial, Jesus on trial and being slapped in the face, and then second and third denials. What's going on? I think John's wanting us to see at least this much. What played into Peter's denial had to do with the cause of Christ looking really weak. Here's Peter's shepherd, Lord, king, rabbi, teacher, and Peter knows, as goes he, so go I. And Peter's now watching him on trial, 
not doing miracles, right? Not having this great teaching with crowds of 5,000 to 20,000 people being fed and all these miracles happening. He's on trial and they just hit him. This is not looking good for me or any of my other disciples. And that's exactly where the arguably the most difficult spot comes in to not deny Jesus. When you're the minority, when you're on the job site or you're in the workplace and you're the only Christian in your uh, circle of influence, in your work group, when you go out into your neighborhoods and you're the only believer and you're in a group of people and you really want to be accepted by them and loved by them and have good relationships with them. And then the issue comes up, oh, here, are you a Christian? Oh boy. Well, that's a really hard one, isn't it? The tug, hey, I want to fit in here, but I belong to someone else. And it's really easy, beloved, on Sunday in church to say I'm a believer. It's very easy. It costs us nothing but about an hour on Sunday to just show up and say, hey, I'm here, let's sing. It's really easy in fellowship groups again to say, hey, I'm a Christian. It's really easy in Christian circles. But put Peter and put us in a setting where you're the only Christian, maybe a family setting. The Lord saved you alone out of your family at this point. No one else has come to Christ yet. Now you put yourself in that setting and there's tons of pressure to not be a Christian and to stifle your faith. What will you do? At those moments we discover, yeah, just what is my relationship with the Lord? How strong am I in the faith? Do I really love him? Or or do I just love him because my family's always loved him and I just run in Christian circles and it's always been easier to say I believe than to say I don't believe. Peter's finding that out right now when everything's going south and it looks like his life might be on the line. John 18, 18, the servants and officers made a charcoal fire because it was cold. This was a chilly night in Jerusalem. Peter's warming himself by the fire, trying to get comfortable, worried about his own skin. He's absorbed and self-preservation at this point with his denials. He's absorbed in taking care of his own flesh. He's just cold, wants to get warm. He's so concerned with his own comfort that he's denying the Lord Jesus himself. And what a contrast this is with Jesus Christ. On this cold night, Jesus was in so much inner turmoil that he sweat drops of blood just earlier. That's gotta be a lot of stress, beloved, to be sweating drops of blood on a cold night. Jesus is on trial for his life in front of the high priest. He's being slapped around and struck. Jesus is absorbed in the eternal preservation of the souls of his people. He's busy with the work of taking care of us. He's so concerned with Peter and our salvation that he expresses no concern for his own discomfort. Jesus so loves Peter and you and I that he embraces the pain, the sacrifice, the displeasure, the agony of the cross so that Jesus deniers like Peter and you and me can be saved. Peter's in there just trying to save his own skin. And Jesus is up here on trial for his life. Doesn't even care about his own skin. Cares about our skin. Cares about where we're going to spend forever. Because it's in one of two places. Eternal destruction under God's wrath. Or eternal bliss in heaven. And Jesus cares more about getting us to heaven than even Peter cares about or you or I care about. Amazing what our Lord's doing here for Peter and for people just like Peter, for you and me. Let me conclude with this. Uh, In 1945, a Romanian pastor, Richard Wormbrand, probably familiar to many of you, 
Uh, communists had taken over Romania under Stalin in order to bring the Romanian people under the sway of communism. They went after the religious leaders and the pastors thinking if we can get them to preach pro-communist message, then the Romanian people will follow. So it's 1945, they held a meeting for 4,000 pastors and priests in the Bucharest, in Bucharest, Romania, at the parliament building. And uh, Richard Wormbrand was present with his wife, Sabrina. And at the meeting, pastor after pastor stood up to praise the communist regime and to promise their loyalty to Stalin's rule. Pastor Christian, these are, these are pastors and churches that are standing up over and over to submit to, to, to be loyal to them. Again, the government even ahead of Jesus, that's what they're submitting to and, and, and praising. And Richard's wife, Sabrina Wormbrand, leaned over to her husband while this was going on and said, stand up and wash away this shame from the face of Christ. He leaned back to his wife and said, if I do, you will lose your husband. And she said, I don't wish to have a coward for a husband. So he stood up and it ended up costing him about 14 years behind bars in prison camps and a lot of difficulty and suffering. And it would have been really easy for him to pull something like Peter pulled or like we would do unless the Lord gives any of us strength and just say, hey, yeah, love Stalin, whatever he asked me to do, Jesus will come second. Rather than say, I don't know what any of you are thinking right now, but Jesus is number one. I belong to him. He saved me from my sins and given me eternal life. I'm a child of the Father because of his work, his sweat, his blood, his tears. There is no one else that I will commit to and submit my life to unconditionally other than Jesus. Everybody, including Stalin, comes a distant second. Beloved, you, where are you with that? I'm not talking a speech in front of the parliament or the government. How about we just go day to day, which is what Peter faced where he fell, the day to day events of life. Are we committed to living as Christ followers or committed to hiding our light under a bushel, slipping through the cracks so that no one will know we're a believer and our life can go more comfortably as we press forward? What are we committed to? Let's pray.